Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programmers podcast. Helping computer programmers to become software engineers. The topic of this episode is REST versus SOAP. As you can probably tell, I don't like to react to the uh, instantaneous events in software engineering. I like to uh, think about the longer term trends and the uh, things that we've done in the past and how it shapes what we're doing today. Um, and this episode was motivated by a very constructive uh, discussion comparing REST and SOAP. Actually, the discussion came from a single detailed point about um, network API design, which I'll come on to uh, later in the sort of warm-up part of this episode. But it turned into a constructive discussion of what REST means and what SOAP means on um, a local technology group's uh, Slack channel. So I live um, sort of equidistant between two large cities in England, uh, Birmingham to the north and Oxford to the sort of south. And there are um, Slack channels for local uh, sort of software-based technologists in both of those cities. And this was on the Birmingham Technology or Brumtech uh, Slack channel that this discussion happened. And, you know, to be honest, I find it uh, quite rare on a lot of online forums to actually get a decent uh, discussion, particularly of older technology such as SOAP. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised by the, you know, the level of discussion, the level of, um, you know, people uh, sort of receptive to saying, here's what I don't understand, and I am willing to accept that I don't understand it, not that it must be wrong, uh, and the level of sort of, you know, listening to um, and integrating alternative explanations and uh, ideas from different schools of thought in technology. I think a lot of uh, technology tends to uh, become sort of tribalized, and this has, you know, happened um, throughout my career, and I've been guilty of it as well. Uh, I think I've made this point on my blog uh, a while back. And when I say a while back, I actually mean about a decade back, and link in show notes, that um, the even... So the Apple community inside the developer community, i.e. the people who write software that is native to Apple's platforms, is itself a tribe, right? You know, these are people who have chosen not to write software for Android, and we'll tell you why an iPhone is better than an Android, or they've chosen not to write software for a Windows PC, and we'll tell you why Mac is better than a Windows PC. Um, but within it, it is uh, separated into its own technological tribes. Um, there used to be a very big Java community on the Mac. James Gosling used a PowerBook uh, as his main laptop. Um, there was the Macintosh runtime for Java on the classic Mac OS. There were a lot of people interested in Java. There were the people who got into the Mac so that they could buy a TextMate license and do Rails programming. <clears throat> but then there were the people doing the like Mac native technology who were the Carbon people who had come from the classic Mac OS and who were the Cocoa people who had come from the sort of next step and Objective-C uh, tradition. And I was very much in that like next step 
uh, camp. And yeah, when it came to like administering a uh, network or a system of uh, Macs, I would be saying, well, we need to use Unix command line because it's clearly a Unix system. Um, and then yeah, when like Apple's certified systems administrators were telling me how you could do the stuff with Apple script, which was classic Mac technology, I'd be saying, no, that's redundant. That's old hat. We don't need to do that. You know, I have been part of the, the technological tribalism of uh, the software uh, industry, and it's kind of unnecessary and counterproductive because it's not how the people who want or use or sponsor the creation of software think about software. So, you know, people don't go, right, I need an application that is based on core data and uses um, UI navigation controller. I will search uh, and the UI navigation controllers have to be in storyboards, not nib files. I will search for one of those on the app store. They think I want to be able to write down my uh, grandmother's recipe for borscht. Uh, and uh, be able to find out where I can buy the ingredients. I'll see if there's an application that can help me with that. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's written in JavaScript or Common Lisp or Objective-C or whatever. But yes, these uh, tribes do exist, and they make it quite hard to have discussions be uh, about comparisons between technologies because the people who are advocates for technology A will tell you why that is good and why uh, it, it is bad to use any anything else without necessarily uh, experience of that. And then the people who are the um, proponents of technology B will tell you why technology A is bad and why technology B is good without necessarily having uh, you know, a, a similar experience of both. But also, I think online discussions of um technology where you want uh maybe an objective preferably scientific but at least rational uh discussion and comparison of different technologies and you want uh you know, to have a meaningful discussion even if it is a discussion about like the latest news in technology land i think there are a lot of misaligned incentives uh in the various uh, forums, and that these lead to uh, problems. So, for example, a uh, site with karma scores, you know, and I've been on, um, I suppose Slashdot was the first uh, blog that I joined that had a, a karma system, and, you know, it's got quite a, um, a sort of complicated system where any one comment uh, starts at zero if you're anonymous or one if you're signed in or two if you already have good karma and then it can go up to five and down to minus one through uh, moderation and then there's a level of meta moderation where people are asked someone else marked this topic as uh, marks this um like post as off-topic, do you agree that it is off-topic? Or someone said that this comment was a troll, is it a troll? And of course, Slashdot discussions are famous for uh, having quickly become low-quality uh, 
where people want to be the first to post. And so, you know, firstly, you got people just typing first post and uh, submitting that, and then typos because they were so quick to type um, first post that they would make mistakes and you get like frisk sot. Uh, and then people would like deliberately post uh, frist spot or frosty piss or whatever, and then you'd just get FP because that's even quicker to type. Any of these karmic systems, Hacker News, Lobsters, uh, Slashdot, so on, suffer from people want to be the first person to post what they know to be an existing in-group idea because that puts other people off from posting that same idea so it keeps the it effectively land grabs the karma associated with that post for themselves and they know it will get upvoted because it's reinforcing the position and so you very quickly get a sort of boundary of acceptable ideas that will be posted and will be upvoted and you know you kind of look at like the number of comments because they always tell you how many comments there are going to be in the thread and you go, oh, this one already has 150 comments. There's no point in me uh, contributing now because what anything that's worth saying has already been said. When in actual fact, everything that wasn't worth saying has already been said, and everybody else has been put off from uh, making a contribution, and the discussions stay low value. And all of these. Um, like as I say, karma based karma based solutions for um showing who is uh like you know, high valued within this community end up optimizing for how can I boost my value, not can we have a decent conversation. Um you don't necessarily listen to an outsider because they have a low karma value. Slashdot told you people's user IDs you wouldn't necessarily listen to someone with a seven-digit user ID because they were obviously late to the party. You might listen to someone with a three-digit user ID, but then there's like a finite number of three-digit user IDs, and so you can't get any new um, old people, if you see what I mean. You can't get any more people who are worth listening to if that is how you measure uh, what it means to be worth listening to. And then another problem that we have uh, in these places is simply that uh, the rate of growth of the software and like industry, if you want to call it that, is incredibly fast. Um, you know, it may sort of double every few years the number of people who are employed as programmers or as software engineers or as you know, IT support professionals. And so most of the people in any general programming forum probably haven't experienced directly technologies more than a few years old, certainly in a professional context. Now, I know as someone who started like programming, you know, and I accept that this is a uh, privileged position, but someone who started programming as a child because they're... Um, Parents had a microcomputer, and I could learn basic on that computer. Like you know, I have got experience of technology, not many different technologies, but experience of programming that goes back uh, almost forty years. 
despite only being slightly older than 40 years myself. Um, you know, I remember like Java applets being the new exciting thing. And I remember being able to write applets and to write, you know, my first sort of JavaScript programs before uh, I even had a network connection. And then because my first sort of stable network connection, apart from like uh, some dial-up modem access, was a fast university network, I was well set up for doing uh, programs that would work on like 4G smartphones because the network capabilities you get with a 4G smartphone in terms of uh, speed, latency, uh, availability, and so on are roughly equivalent to what we had on our 10 megabit uh, Ethernet back when I was a student. But now, uh, you know, the people who have been in this industry, say, 10 years, um, who may have, like, done some uh, JavaScript programming on, the, like, their uh, laptop or their desktop computer um, or before they became professional or been taught uh, some Java uh, when they were an undergraduate or, you know, whatever their route in was. Um, let's say that those people who have been in the field for 10 years have you know, 15, 20 years of experience. That still only takes us back to the beginning of this millennium. It is, you know, uh, shortly pre-smartphones. It is, like, post-fast networks. It is, uh, you know, post-JavaScript. Um, it is post uh, a lot of the technologies python would have already existed uh, back then uh, the like browser architecture and like web 2.0 would have existed back then and now remember that those people with 10 years of professional experience and 15 20 years of uh, you know of like using computers experience or programming computers experience rather represent still a small fraction because there are even more people who joined five years ago with you know 10 to 12 years of, of total experience there's even more people probably joined two years ago with five to ten years of experience and so these are people uh, who know the ubiquitous smartphone and tablet and you know internet of things world of technology like you know ask any of them what their opinion of rest versus soap is it's not going to be a an an, a, an opinion that is based on experience of both uh, and so if they have an opinion on soap it's going to be a learned experience it's going to be the in group says soap is overly verbose with all those anglo angle brackets therefore that is what i will tell this person but it was good to have this sort of you know better thought out and uh, more um, like egalitarian and non-confrontational approach to the discussion uh, on this Slack channel. So, uh, you know, for those of you who do happen to be in that area, I recommend checking it out. And for those of you who are <clears throat> in uh, other areas, I reckon recommend checking out your local uh, like technology forum because it is going to be general purpose, if you like, technologists. There's going to be you know people with different experiences, people who have used different things you will be able to get a broader collection of experiences and to learn more about different things than from, say, your local .NET users group or your local uh, Java users group or your local 
um, you know, Swift users group or whatever. So this discussion, the central point of debate was actually a question about um, an HTTP API design. And it was uh, motivated by an example of someone's employer's code where they had um, an error that was reported uh, to the client from the you know, from the back end from the server and uh, the uh, question basically was if a service responds to a request with an indication of failure at the business logic level so if the request has gone through correctly and has been handled correctly and the answer is like yeah, within the business domain, the question you have asked doesn't make sense. Should that be an HTTP error or should that be HTTP success? And uh, people gave both answers. Um, in fact, you know, I came down on the uh, on the side of saying, from an HTTP perspective, your request has been successfully sent, understood, decoded, handled responded to and replied there and the reply has successfully been delivered that is a 2xx family of responses and the choice of response depends on whether there is a body um, if you're saying that there is a failure at the business domain then presumably you're telling the person what the uh, failure is and the answer is going to be 200 because you're going to have a body that they should parse to understand what the response to their request is, that response being, this doesn't make sense within the business domain. But other people could make the other answer. They could say, you know, the specific case was um, that you've asked for information about a user and that there isn't a user with that user ID in the system. So, you know, I could say, well, you have successfully asked me information about this uh, user and I have successfully responded with the information that there is no such user. That's 200. Someone else could say, you have asked for information about this user and that user does not exist. Therefore, this is an HTTP 404 response, i.e. the uh, resource that you have requested was not found. Um, and the reason that we were able to have this discussion and to you know, to promote both answers is that this was what is called a RESTful API. Now, REST allows either answer in this case because REST is not a consistent design principle. It is not an approach to building network APIs for remote procedure calls and you know in this case like crud access to entities over http rest is when we talk about restful interfaces and restful apis in that context restful is a misunderstanding of a description of how hypermedia browsers and the network protocols that enable the use of hypermedia browsers. That distributed, um, hyperlinked media uh, 
like and document viewers and editors should be designed. It's a single chapter from Roy Fielding's thesis in which he discusses a lot of different alternative architectures for designing such a system and says that any application will have application-specific needs and that the designer of the application should think about those needs and design the network architecture in order to support those needs and that for the HTTP 1.1 standard this particular choice the one that we now know as RESTful was the one that was selected as the one that made sense for designing the hypertext transfer protocol as used by web browsers. So what we have, and I'll link to an article that uh, describes how this has happened in some more detail, we have this description of how browsers work and how the choices made in designing the HTTP 1.1 protocol were selected in order to enable those behaviors of browsers. And this has become a, a, a word that is used to mean let's like design network APIs in this way, when network APIs are typically not um, distributed, they're centralized because there's a single API endpoint. Um, they are not hypermedia because you're typically distributing static uh, documents such as JSON documents that don't have any uh, sort of internal linkage. And even where they do, even where people uh, use the um, the sort of key URL uh, like uh, pattern to say the things that you can do with this object are in these URLs that are carried in the object, even where that is the case, the client, which is often controlled by the uh, organization that distributed the server or developed the server, or at least by their partners or by their clients, in the business sense of the phrase, um, the the network client is controlled by the same people and so knowledge of how to use those links is embedded in the client it isn't a distributed hypermedia application it is simply an rpc application that is using a network to invoke its remote procedure calls and uh, this article describes this as the fuck it overload http pattern and of course if you're going to fuck it overload http you can choose whether a domain problem gets uh you know gets sent to the client as a successful transfer of state that the client must then unpack and interpret or as a failure to make a valid request which is essentially what you're saying in the 404 case so 4xx family of http errors is the client made a bad request family so you are saying it was wrong of you to even ask for 
information about this user. You are not saying, I can tell you that the information about this user is that they do not exist. Now compare that situation to SOAP, uh, the sing Simple Object Access Protocol, which is a transport-independent stateful model of server-client communication to enable RPC, one realization of which is over HTTP. So that's why uh, these two are, you know, are comparable. Fuck it, overload HTTP is a transport layer or an application layer on top of HTTP. SOAP is a, an abstract uh, transport layer that enables application transport uh, or application messaging. And one way in which you can transfer these messages is over HTTP. And the way in which the SOAP state machine is mapped onto HTTP requests and responses is clearly tabulated in the uh, SOAP standard. And you know, the most recent version is 2007's SOAP v1.2. So you know, I'll link to the table there in the show notes. And you'll find that SOAP tells us what the answer is to this question because all of the mappings between SOAP states and HTTP states are well documented. That makes it easier for a third party to build a client because they can know what has happened in the request uh, based on the HTTP response and the information in this table. They don't have to hope that your Swagger API documentation is up to snuff or that your uh, your postman package <clears throat> actually describes what is going on uh, in decent, uh, you know, like written literate English, because there is a clear mapping of uh, what's going on in the HTTP to what is going on in the RPC. Now, of course, I'm not saying, you know, by saying that SOAP has an answer to which HTTP status should I use. Uh, in this situation, I'm not saying therefore SOAP wins because there are other trade-offs. And this really is the point of uh, Roy Fielding's dissertation is that there are these trade-offs, these trade-offs are application specific and that you shouldn't just reach for REST or for some other approach to um, like transport of, for network transport for your application's um, messages. You should find the approach that suits the application and that enables the purpose of that application so you know let's think about some of those trade-offs uh, well the reason that people say they don't like soap is because it is uh, overly verbose with all the angle brackets in the xml uh, document but you know, if we think about like modern HTTP, HTTP2 or HTTP3, everything is gzipped. Everything is uh, encrypted over SSL and is gzipped. So you're not going to be counting angle brackets uh, flying over the network. That network is probably, uh, well, it depends on your application. It's probably a bit more stable and a lot faster than networks were when 
um, you know, Soap 1.2 came out in 2007. Probably the 4G network on my smartphone today and the baseband receiver in the smartphone are both way more reliable than a 2007 era device that is using uh, a mobile network, which would have probably been a GPRS or Edge at the time. And so, you know, is this protocol actually overly prolix? Um, we're using these networks to send like real time high definition video. That, you know, I can watch, uh, say, Dos Amigans on Twitch in high definition over a, a mobile network. Um, so, you know, does it really matter if my blog post is sent using XML RPC or SOAP with, you know, say, let's say a 10% communications overhead instead of a JSON document with, say, an 8% communications overhead? Where's that communications overhead coming from? Is it literally from all of the angle brackets and stuff in the document wrapper, or is it from me sending unnecessary data or me sending a, a large request when I should you know, use smaller transport sizes for this network or from me breaking the message into too many smaller messages when I should use a larger size for this network or is it from me sending data that is irrelevant I mean if we now start thinking about GraphQL GraphQL allows me to say I am interested in these fields in my request making the request larger, unless I use saved queries, and then getting only the fields back I'm interested in in the response, rather than a whole JSON object representing all of the properties of my uh, entity, which then all get passed over the network and then have to be filtered client-side. So where should I be putting that effort? Is it really into uh, putting a curly bracket around the whole object instead of uh, angle brackets around each element, or is it in designing my network protocol effectively? What does it mean in my application to cache a response? You know, not what does it mean at the HTTP level? Should I uh, send a uh, has not changed? You know, should I use e tags, whatever? But um, the, what is the meaning in my application of saying this information is still up to date? Does that make sense to the person using the application in the context of understanding the application's data? Because that then changes the chattiness of the protocol. And then we get to ask again, well, you know, why are we sending this information? Do we really need to send this information? What option does a user have in reaction to uh, receiving a message from this service? Is it like an arbitrary open-ended thing, in which case we should present all of the options to the user and let them choose uh, the ones that make sense, um, which is you know, the experience that you get in the browser, which is a distributed hypermedia application where every document potentially contains zero to many links to other documents or is it more of an on rails experience or actually guiding them through a uh, a set of forms you know uh, which is like more of the sort of 
application experience, in which case what I'm probably doing is storing the application state in the network service um, and really sort of flowing them through a more or less static UI. I would need different network protocols to support those cases as well. Who owns the client? Is it some you know, random third-party developer, in which case I probably want to give them as much as specific and as machine-readable information about the validity of documents, the um, expected content of documents, the safety of various like types and so on? Or is it two teams who are working like on neighbouring desk clusters in the same building who can just like you know talk who can just go over and say hey i'm getting this response back i was kind of expecting this thing which one of us is right because you know that is going to uh tell us something about how much metadata we should give whether that metadata should be um like machine readable so that the client is informed of a malformed request before they even try to send the request, uh, whether that can be a bit more um, fluid, a bit more uh, relaxed, a bit more easygoing. There are lots of questions here. So, really good discussion was had of REST versus SOAP and not the standard, oh, well, soap is old and therefore it must have been bad and i'm really happy about that uh, that is the topic for this week so thanks for listening if you would like to um, find out more about what i uh, write and say on the interwebs about helping programmers to become software engineers then please check out my newsletter sicpers.curated.co which is s-i-c-p-e-r-s.curated.co Thank you very much. I will talk to you again soon.